Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. We're in our final week in the series, Mastering the Middle. The gap in between the start and finish is not the place to lose our focus. So let's go ahead and jump in and see what God's word has for us from our lead pastor, Antoine Lasseter. The last, this is the conclusion of Mastering the Middle. And uh, uh, this is an incredible journey, at least for me, I felt, um, I felt it was. Uh, from the children of God leading, leaving Egypt. And we talked about how they were following the cloud by day and fire at night. Pastor Aaron Thomas spoke about um, Abram and Sarai and rushing to fulfill the promise. Like sometimes you have a promise from God and it's not moving fast enough. So you put your hands on it. Yeah. And then we, last week we talked about Joseph and how immaturity was causing him to mishandle his gift. Um, And all of us, um, we have this uniqueness about ourselves that God has called you. And oftentimes, um, when we have these moments of a promise or dream or calling that's unfulfilled, uh, it's in the middle, it's in the waiting that oftentimes we drop the ball. And so, but what happens when uh, you are following God with your whole heart, mind, body, and soul, and you still find yourself in the middle? There's a difference between a promise yet fulfilled um, versus I'm in this mess because I follow God. And there's a difference between learning God, the process maturing you, versus serving God and finding yourself in the middle of despair. And uh, this is what we call the gap. And the gap is when we look at where we are and where God is calling us, and in that middle is the gap. And how you manage the middle is where the work is. See, we all manage the gap between what we believe about God and what we experience with God. I believe that God is a healer, but if you never experience healing, there is a gap between what you believe and what you experience. I believe that God is a provider, but if you never needed provision, there is a gap between what I know is true about God and what I experience. And many of us are living in that gap. But faith is what bridges that gap. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. I don't have to see it or experience to recognize the fact that God is still good. But that place, Brother Mike, is the place that we have been referring to as the middle. And I hope through those last several messages that many of us are now deciding to wave the white flag. Like, I surrender. Because the the white flag is the realization that I can't manipulate my way out of this. I can't strategize beyond it or network my way out of it. It must be God that does 
this. Now, I don't know what this is for you. I don't know what you're believing God for and what you're doing in the meantime. But this is coming to the end of yourself. The whole message, the whole big idea, the whole point of the matter, Dion, is coming to the end of yourself. In other words, if God does not do this, it won't happen and it won't get done. So uh, I need for you to turn to me uh, to 1 Kings, uh, the 19th chapter, and we're going to spend some time between the first and 14th verses. Um, but before uh, I dive into the crux of our message, um, I got to give you a backstory. Now, Elijah is the center um, of this narrative, and he appears quite suddenly in 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, um, uh, this is a, not a trick question, but the name of this book is Kings. What do you think uh, the reoccurring theme is? Kings, yes, yes, yes. It's interesting, uh, and so, uh, but this narrative, this uh, story will center around Elijah the prophet and King Ahab. Now, King Ahab was, according to Scripture, one of the worst kings. Um, and so, uh, what Elijah does is he comes onto the scene, and um, he, uh, he, there's a covenant that God establishes with his people, that if you obey, if you trust, if you follow, then I will cause rain to fall upon you. Now, here's the good news. When you are in an agricultural culture, uh, rain is important, but you can't produce rain. You can put the seed down, you can, you can till the land. And so we need an intervention. And God said, as long as I'm your God, I will cause the rain to come when it's supposed to, and I will fertilize, this will preach all by itself, but that's not the point of my message. But Elijah jumps into the, the foray and basically says, uh, y'all ain't been holding up uh, your end of the bargain. And so God is going to withhold the rain. Now, I don't know about you, if, but if my livelihood was contingent upon the mercies of God, you would seem that that would be enough for us to do right. But lo and behold, we are some hard, I'm not talking about the children of Israel, I'm talking about us. We are some hard-headed, stiff-necked people. And I'm saying us. This ain't the church down the street. This is us. If you're watching, I, I'm talking, I'm, we are hard-headed. It's like the, what the, uh, the Scripture says, that like a fool returns to his folly like a dog returns to his vomit. We return to the very thing that makes us sick. But thank God for mercy. That's not my message. I'm going somewhere, so let me just stay on point. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah get, goes back to Ahab and says, um, the Lord, because of his mercy, is going to return the rain. Boy, thank you, Jesus, for the rain returning in spite of us. So, but Elijah in, in chapter 18, he takes upon himself to then say, you know what, I'm going to get this right. I'm challenging all you, you devil worshipers, you Baal prophets, 
and here's how we're going to do it. First Kings chapter 18. Uh, you don't have, I just want you to listen. Read your Bible. Search these things to, search these things to see if they're true. First Kings chapter 18, um, Elijah says to the people, so since I'm the only remaining prophet in the land, here's what we're going to do. Take the Baal prophets. Um, there was about 450 of them. Let's get two bulls. And we're going to, you choose your bull, I'm choose my bull. We're going to cut it into pieces. We're going to place it on the wood. Um, and then we're not going to light a fire, though. And um, you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers in fire is God. So they're like, okay, sure enough, we'll do that. What's up then? So the bell prophets went first. And boy, they get to it. And so they literally go, Desiree, they literally go from noon to night, calling on their God. Man, they cutting themselves, they dancing, they doing all this stuff, and Liza is just mocking them and making fun. So they just get a little louder and louder, and nothing happens. So then Elijah says, okay, y'all finish, because y'all about to be faint with all that blood you're losing. Um, let me go ahead and show you some. So he, took the, he takes 12 stones. He builds an altar. Um, he, 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 each, altar each stone with the name of the Lord, he built a trench. Like he's going all out. So he puts a trench around it, and then he fills all the trenches with water. Um, he makes sure that the, war, the, the wood is wet. He puts all this water in. And here's what he says. He says, Lord God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God. <laughs> And I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the Lord's fire failed and consumed the burnt offering, everything on it. And then for kicks and giggles, Elijah killed all of them. He killed every last one of them, 450 of them. Now go run and tell that. You see all this is happening? You see how the man of God and the obedience to God did all these things. And then we go into 1 Kings chapter 19. If you don't mind, can you rest on your feet with me as we read God's word? Now, Ahab had, now if you're in Christian circles, you know the name of Jezebel. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about Jezebel. Okay. All right. So, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab, King Ahab, told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me. And do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In the Antoine's translation, you're going to be dead just like you killed them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. And when he came to Bathsheba, uh, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey in the wilderness, uh, into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked, 
And there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the Lord, angel of the Lord, returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. And then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, Horeb, um, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent, that, spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Put a pause in that. What do you do when you are obeying God, serving God, living for God, and still find yourself in a cave? What do you do when you have done all you know how to do for God and you feel like God isn't for you? And so here's where um, Elijah finds himself. So I want you to make the connection that he, he slaughters 450 of Baal prophets. And he's called, and, and because of the Lord's uh, gentleness and kindness, he causes fire to rain from the heavens. The Lord asked him, what are you doing here? He replied, I have been very, verse number 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by a great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. Even I mean, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here? I'm going to close on number 14. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. They're looking for me to take my life. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I want to, I want to go real quick, but not... Not real quick, so you'll miss it. But the first verses, first one through three, you have uh, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, basically saying, we're going to kill this dude. And he runs. He gets afraid. Uh, this, this is not um, a point that I'm going to establish, but I want you to ponder on this, that um, there's caves, there's cares and caves, and we got to know the difference. And, and so what we are looking at as a victorious day for Elijah and it swings the opposite way because this is not in my, this is in my notes, but this is not the point I'm going to dig. But we are most vulnerable after victory. You got to get that in your head that when, when things are going good, it's not that we become paranoid, that, um, uh, Dion. It's not that we become fearful, but we have to understand that when, when we are triumphant in the spirit, that doesn't mean that the enemy just decides to go away. The scripture says in Matthew that the enemy goes away for a season, comes back stronger to test you even more. So it may seem at times that the mountaintop experiences are where we live. But you don't live on a mountaintop. Most of us live in the middle. 
and fear and failure are twin combatants, and they fight against faith. Despite the heroics of Elijah, it's important to remember that he's a man just like us. External circumstances always brings out our humanity. Oh, you better, man, fear is what, uh, is what Elijah is focusing on. And oftentimes, because of our exploits, our reading of these giants of men of faith, we make them something that they're not. James chapter 5, verse 17. Can I get a witness, James? James says Elijah was a human being just like us. There's nothing in Elijah that makes him special. Man, we have to be careful that we elevate no one above Jesus. The divinity that we see oftentimes, even in, in, in some of our leaders and some of the, uh, the, the, the forefathers of faith, is always closed in humanity. We are not the origins of the divine. Jesus alone is. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Let's not marvel at the feet of many of our forefathers or modern-day saints. It is the Lord's hand and doing. So here we got Elijah, and I was reading it, and I see Elijah do all these things, and I'm like celebrating, like, wow, Elijah's that dude. And then in the next breath, he shows his humanity. We have this unhealthy love affair toward those who God uses as if they have this special anointing only accessible to them. Man, James chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Elijah was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. But don't you fool yourself. This is not to say that we shouldn't honor those who labor among us. The scripture tells us to. But we shouldn't worship them. Well, you see, now in the New Testament, Jesus takes the three with him, and they build an altar, and they see Moses, they see Elijah, and they see Jesus, and their first response is to build an altar for Moses and, and, and Elijah and Jesus, and they worship, and, and whoa, 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 I am who I am, and he shares his glory with no man. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying first we need to have a healthy perspective, healthy, uh, um, a healthy relationship with the people God has placed in our path. It is God alone who deserves our worship. Verse number three, when he came to Bathsheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. He went by himself. Some journeys that you own, you have to go by yourself. Your my, your my problem is we're trying to take everybody with us. And oftentimes I've learned that your influence grows larger when your circle becomes smaller. Side note, we have too many people speaking confusion into our lives. And the noise of their opinions are driving out the truth of his word. You're asking everybody for advice except God. Man, everyone can't go with you. 
And where God is taking you, I say it again just for emphasis, everybody can't go with you. Verse number four, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. First point I want to make, I want you to write this down. I know it looks bad, but retreat is not defeat. The thing he did was he cried out to God. He just didn't cry. He cried out to God. He had enough in him to cry out to the one he knew could help him. And and, then here's the thing. Um, Isolation, there are seasons of isolation, but let me put this caveat to you. Because oftentimes when I'm talking to people, yeah, just God got me in a funny place and he's, he's closing people off. Okay, there is a, this, this is not an isolation because of personality, but an isolation because of purpose. And there's a difference. Some of us are, are, are introvert and we have a natural inclination to just be alone. But this is not the type of isolation that we're talking about in this text. What he's being isolated from is I'm confusing my person with my purpose. And the purpose always requires divine. And so he is saying that there are times that when um, retreating, retreating, moving ourselves away is a temporary relief. The problem is it's, all, it's, it's okay to retreat. It is when you stay connected. The problem is that you don't take residence there. It's, it's, it's good to go to a cave, because sometimes the cave offers protection. The cave offers because there's one entrance, and I can, be, I can, be, I can, I can see what, com- what comes in. But don't you fool yourself. Isolation is never meant to live in. It's how you behave in those moments that our faith are being tested determines so much more than your words that you say publicly. Ah, you didn't see Elijah ever reject God. He was just having a moment. It's one thing to retreat to rest and recover. It's another thing to retreat to hide and not be connected. Sometimes in keeping people so busy, we keep them distracted. And they never have to face themselves. But here's what I'm learning, especially in this season. You can't outrun the zip code of your heart. Oh, you can move from place to place to place, from church to church to church, relationship to relationship to relationship, but where you are is where you are. And the middle brings up this hidden stuff. Oh, man, many of us, bro, you know this, many of us are physically and emotionally exhausted because this season takes its toll on you. And there is a pulling or withdrawal, but your withdrawal is not to God, it's away from him. Please know the difference. The middle brings up stuff. It brings up your self-talk about how you really feel. I know what you confess publicly, but God knows your heart. And this is my pastoral duty to say that God is hearing your murmurs. The inner critic distorts your perspective. It's, It's important to remember in these moments that success doesn't mean God is with you. And struggle doesn't mean God is against you. You better know who God is in this season. You better hear his voice and obey in this season because there's so many dissenting opinions about who God is. 
Verse number five, he says, then he lay down. Oh, man. Uh, sometimes it's good to just lay down. <laughs> he, 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 then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked up, and there at his head, there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. That brother was tired. Ain't nobody tripping, Marcus, because you're tired. What we trip about is God is providing and you won't eat. Man. Ain't nobody tripping. You need a moment. But stop saying God is not providing for you in that moment. Oh, I feel you, Jesus. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. And he said, get up and eat or the journey would be too much for you. You are not coming to the place to get fed. And the journey that we're on is too much for you. You cannot live in isolation. We, man, I feel you, Holy Spirit. The challenge, Dion, is God is providing food after food after food and giving us rest after rest and after rest, and we still not eating. Man, obedience is walking out what God says now, believing he will show us later. The reason why we have to eat, Dion, because we don't know how long this journey is. He said, this time when you eat, get up, because you have no idea what's ahead of you next. So every time that God serves his food, eat. Man. So he got up. He got up. Come on, he got up and he ate and he drank. I love the fact that even in his issues, I love the fact that even in his stubbornness, and we could even call him rebellious if you want, when God spoke, he responded. Oh man, God is speaking. You just ain't listening. Okay, he ate and drank. And then on the strength from that food, he walked you don't know what meal that God is trying to serve you that will sustain you with this next season that we're in. I, 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 get, I get concerned that God is telling us to master the middle. I get concerned, but nobody's hearing it. And then he's feeding us and feeding us, and it's for the next 40 days. It's for, it's, this meal is not for this day. This meal is for the season to come. There's famine coming in the land. Man, I feel you. There's famine coming in the land, and we take for granted that we can just sit and take notes, only not to read those notes. He's preparing us for the journey to come. We got to learn that when he feeds us, that we have the position to eat. So he walks 40 days and 40 nights the mount. You look at that Mount Horeb, and you look at the same mountain that God gave the children of, children of God, the Ten Commandments. It's also, it's also called Mount Sinai. So it's interesting that he gives him enough for 40 days and 40 nights to go back to the place that he knew God was, that this is the place that God connected to the people of Israel and gave his Ten Commandments for them to follow. So Elijah isn't running from God. He is running toward God. 
when isolation is, there's a purpose in isolation, is that we're getting closer to God, not running away from him. I know what you say publicly. I understand it. I used to write the book on it. Oh, I'm just serving God. No, I wasn't. And I needed somebody to walk beside me and say, something's different about you. Your glow, is, your glow ain't here no more. Your, your, your words are betraying you because you're saying one thing with your lips, but your heart is far away from God. You got to retreat to regroup and regroup to rest because the Lord knows where Elijah is. But does Elijah know where he is? Why would God ask a man, what are you doing here? Shouldn't God know? The reason why he asked the question is not for God. It's for us. We can be serving in the house of God and God be so far from our hearts that it don't make. What are you doing here, Elijah? Don't make. This is a sidebar. Right, somebody needs to hear this. You're about to make a dumb decision because you're tired. Don't make decisions when you're tired. Ask Esau. Esau was working and working and working, and he was hungry. He was famished. And Jacob understood what the birthright, the birthright was. So, so Jacob tricks his brother into selling his birthright because Esau was tired. Don't you make decisions when you're tired, when you're emotionally spent, when you're exhausted. You better call your team together. Because these decisions that we're making in this season are going to catch up with us in the next. First point was retreat is not defeat. Second, realize your own inadequacies. First Peter 5 and 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. But here's the thing. Elijah threw everything on the altar that he was using to defeat the prophets of Baal. Everything except his own heart. Y'all got to hear this. When we go into the caves, darkness makes it easier to believe the lies of others have told about you and the ones you tell about yourself. And Elijah said, I'm the only one left. And it fueled his fear. Because isolation can be a double-edged sword. And here's the point I'm trying to make. First Peter says, cast your cares upon the altar because he cares about you. But many of us carry our cares into the cave instead of the altar where they belong. And what that happens is what we're, build, we're doing all this stuff, building altars for other people to demonstrate the power of God. We're leaving, leading people to worship to demonstrate that God is good. We're doing all these things and putting all these other people, we're walking other people to the altar, but not on the altar ourselves. He's doing all of this and whatever it is, whatever it is, get it out of your heart and onto the altar because time and happenstance happens to us all. He's doing all of this. And he realizes a couple things, and I think it took the wind from him. 
He keeps saying something that I'm going to unpack in verse number 10 and 14. He keeps saying, I have been very zealous for the Lord. Question, is that anger that you've been carrying into that cave, will you carry to the altar? Is that fear that you've been carrying to that cave? Are you carrying that to the altar? Are you so busy building the altars that you haven't laid yourself on one? There has to be, are you too busy serving that this is just a place to clean and make sure there's no dirt on? Not a place of your heart. Are we, are we serving so, are we playing instruments? Are we worshiping the Lord on this platform? And the Lord doesn't even have our worship. That's why. This is, man, the cares and caves. Where are you bringing your cares? You taking it in the darkness of the cave with you? Or you bringing it out in the, the public, on the altar, and letting the fire of God consume it? I mean, we keep picking, I'm talking to all of us, me, the worst, but, but we keep picking up, we keep carrying it and picking it up, carrying it and picking it up. And God is saying the altar is prepared. That's why First Peter says, humble yourself, man. Verse number 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. But the Israelites, be careful what you wish for. Uh, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out. The Lord is speaking to him. Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. Man, I'm so thankful that even in all this mess that Elijah found himself in, he was still obedient. That'll preach in a God-fearing church. Um, (laughs) uh, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. Look this, look at, check this out. A great and mighty wind, but the Lord wasn't there. Exodus chapter 14, Moses lifts his staff up, and the people of God are being, in front of them is the Red Sea, behind them is Pharaoh's army. And verse number 21 says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind, and the winds came, a strong wind, and made it dry land. By this, but this time that the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. Back to Exodus, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he marked it with the great earthquake. The people were so afraid that they said, listen, if that's how God speak, you send Moses. We can't deal with that. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Elijah just literally prayed down fire a few days ago to show the people who, was the, tr- who the true and living God was. What's your point, Pastor? We are so consumed with what God did, we miss what he is doing. We are so consumed with the spectacular that we miss God in the ordinary. Be careful that you don't get to the point that you start manufacturing how God speaks. Because we want this strong demonstration 
It's like we try to keep reproducing the Pentecost, that we have made an idol of it. If we don't experience the mighty rushing wind of God, then God ain't moving. Newsflash, just because you recognize him moving or you don't, God is always moving. Yes, yes, I believe in signs, miracles, and wonders. But I also know that he can speak to us with his word. We don't need Dion trying to usher in the presence of God. I brought him with me. And then we don't sing your song. We don't sing this song. And the songs are too fast. And they just keep repeating themselves over and over and over. Listen, I, I, I don't care the worship team sings or not. I don't need them because I worship. God is calling us deeper. And if your prayers just involve you talking and not listening, you're not praying. Prayer is a dialogue. You always talking. Sorry, I got carried away with that. God wasn't in any of the old ways, the ways Elijah was used to. But God was still speaking. The places that Elijah expected God to be, he wasn't there. Could it be that the middle isn't being mastered because we put on God our limitations? Could it be that we have brought our dreams down to a place that we can handle? Could it be that all of this that God is showing Elijah, man, yes, there are are times, Antoine, there were times, Penny, that God demonstrated and threw his weight around the room. But sometimes, as we experience in pre-service, sometimes it's just silence. It's giving God, this is not a true statement, but it makes my point, It's giving God the opportunity to be God. The reality of it is, he don't need our permission. So that's why I said this is not necessarily a true statement. Verse number 13, when Elijah heard it, man, when he heard that soft whisper, when he heard, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here? Next point, remember who God is. In your darkest moments, remember who God is. Remember what God said in the light, because you may have to carry that with you when things become dark. God is everything we need him to be. He is the great I am. You know what he told Abram? I am your shield. You know, he told the children of Israel, I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. And Jesus tells us in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. God is everything we need. But we need to get it, whatever it is, out of our heart and onto the altar. I'm almost finished. Ooh, look at the time. Number 10. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, Verse number 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then we'll drop down to the 14th verse. 
he repeats himself. Elijah repeats himself. I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. The last point, and I think this is the, the point, the crescendo, and it's, it's, it's not as deep as I'm about to, I'm setting it up to be. Remain faithful. Leave the results to God. Elijah kept saying, I've been, I've been very zealous. And they still abandoned your covenant. You demonstrated who you were. And they, their response, Penny, they didn't even repent. They, they are now chasing me down. And that is because he thought that he was, to present, he was going to determine the results. You remain faithful and let God be concerned with the results. If, if, if he became more focused on the results instead of the Redeemer, he thought it all fell on him. You are not responsible for your grown children following God or not. You're not responsible for what that co-worker does. I've been praying with them, pastor, and they still ain't repent. You're not responsible for the results. You and I are responsible to remain faithful. You will always feel inadequate when you try to take the place of God. We do not determine the results. Hear me. I've been praying and I've been praying and I'm praying and they still ain't turn around. It is our job to remain faithful, to trust God in the dark places and to trust God in the light places. Our job is to remain faithful. And when we understand that, Penny, that we're teaching, preaching, leading, discipling, praying for them, and they're not even praying for themselves. We're doing all these things we're praying for father-in-laws and son-in-laws and family. And the issue that we have to resolve, that I'm going to do all I know how to do, Tiffany. But the results is on him. Yeah. And this is what Elijah realized. And Elijah will go on now. I love God. Because you look at verse, the end, you keep reading towards the end. Elijah was never alone. But sometimes, that's all we see. Here's what I want you to hear. You ain't the only one praying for them. But you keep praying. You're not the only one that know you called. You ain't got to manufacture it. 
Stay faithful. You, 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 oftentimes, for some of us, we are following God. We've taken our eyes off God because we see the empty chairs. We see all the things that are wrong. Because we are so consumed by results that we forgot who the Redeemer is. When you look, you keep going, you follow Elijah. Elijah gets an apprentice. Somebody to help carry the load. And then the Lord says, listen, I'm taking care of Ahab and Jezebel. You just got to, you do, you do you. I got this. Then he, then he, this is what's crazy. He said, man, I got 7,000 more people, bro. You ain't, who you? I'm going to let you have your moment. Come on. Yeah. It's more than you just serving me. It's funny how we get upset with God when things don't turn out like we think they should. As if our serving him is based on results or faithfulness. Remain faithful. So when we remember who God is, When we realize our own inadequacies, when we retreat, it gets that hard, we need rest. And all these things, we're going to master this middle. These four sermons, it took a little long with this one, but these four sermons summed up, remain faithful. Pastor Antoine finalizing Mastering the Middle. We must remember to realize our realities, but also remember who God is. Retreat is not defeat. If you are blessed by anything you hear on this podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you are anywhere near Charlotte or the surrounding areas, come on by and visit us here at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina. Or you can join us online every Sunday at 1033 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram under Think Kingdom. And as always, you can go back, hear this message, the whole Mastering the Middle sermon series, exclusively right here on our Think Kingdom podcast. <laughs>